Alright, hey, glad you guys are here. Uh, so because I am I am probably aware that you're probably still a little groggy, uh, I don't think this will go super long this morning. That's not uh, my intention is to um, to go super long. But I do want us to like um, to conclude um, or, or continue rather our story from yesterday, okay? Um, so so what did we what did we talk about yesterday? You guys remember? We did talk about God. That is, uh, that's the, the, the number one church, church answer. Yes. That's right. And we said that God has always been with us, right? Like, like the, our design, like we were not designed to be separated from God in any, any type of way, right? Like we've never been designed that way. But we also said that what? That, that we wanted what more than God? His gifts. We wanted His stuff. Okay, and so we ultimately used God, right? So we ultimately used God for his stuff, and so by wanting that, we separated ourselves, okay? And God is just and holy and judged us. He judged the serpent and he judged us. But but what did we what did we learn even in God's judgment of us? Like what did we say? May remember? There was still grace. There was still an element of grace underneath even his judgment to us okay that 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 adam and eve's doom was not imminent it, it was it was they did usher in death and yes they did they did die they were not designed to die but they didn't die immediately like they thought that there was still an element of grace there that god was going to do something amazing even though they'd sinned even though they had sinned and even though they had broken god's law and even though they had um mess things up, we see God good and gracious, right? That God still has a desire to be with us. And listen, I I don't think we need to just brush over that. I don't think that's something that we need to just brush over. That God wants to be with us. That God's will is to be with us. That God's desire is to be with his people, okay? We don't need to brush over that. I hope that resonates with you, and I hope that sits in, in your hearts a little bit this week, uh, this weekend, and, and really extending that, that, that. I hope that we learn and we understand that God loves us and wants to be with us, okay? So we saw in Genesis 3.15, okay, we saw the, the promise, okay? This is God's promise, okay? I'm going to read it, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of talk about a rehash of that, okay? Genesis 3.15 says this. This is his judgment to the serpent. And remember, we said that, that, that he didn't make Adam and Eve go to their rooms, and, and he was going to talk to them later. He, was gonna, he talked to them collectively as a group, okay? He says, I will put enmity, or I will put strife, or I will put war between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will bruise your head. You, you shall bruise his head. And, and you shall bruise his heel. He shall bruise you and you'll bruise your heel. Okay, sorry. I must have not have slept good either because I can't read this morning. So this is what is known, okay, as the proto-euangelion, okay? Proto-euangelion. Anybody ever heard that word before? Okay, proto-euangelion means it's our first gospel presentation, okay? It's the first gospel presentation ever given, which is, a, I think is, this is not in my notes, but I just think it's really awesome to know that the first gospel, the first evangelist was God himself. 
Like, how cool is that? Like, the first evangelist was God himself. Like, God's evangelizing to to the, the, the man and the woman, that he is going to do something. He's going to fix the mess caused by us. He's going to do it. And he's going to do it in such an awesome way that even though the man and the woman chose to sin, they looked at God's gift and says, I want the gift more than the giver. But there's someone going to come that will crush the head of the serpent and turn this world not upside down, but right side up. We turned it upside down, but God turns it right side up, okay? So our main text this evening is going to be Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, go there. I've got a couple of, um, uh, of other scriptures that I want to read to us, but our main points this morning are going to come from Luke chapter 2, okay? I want to, I want to set us up for Luke chapter 2 by starting in Matthew 1.18, Okay, Matthew 1.18. Okay, now, we, we spoiler alerted you last night in such a wonderful, good way by singing uh, and, and uh, discussing that we ultimately know who the promise is, right? Like, we know who the seed of the woman is. Who is the seed of the woman that God was talking about? That's right. It's Jesus. We knew that. You should have known that. The moment you walked into the, into the building that you knew we were talking about Jesus today, okay? So this is the story of the birth of Christ, okay? Now listen to this, and, and, and we're, let's, let's, let's walk through it. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she found she, she was to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about him tomorrow or later this evening. So that's another spoiler alert. And her husband Joseph, being a man and unwilling, being a just man and, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from this Holy Spirit. Again, talking about him later. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay? Incredible. Incredible text. So let, let's, let's, let's give a little context here. Joseph is about to be married to Mary. Okay? It's a betrothal. They, they, uh, uh, it's an arranged deal. But we find out that Joseph is a good guy, okay? He's a genuinely a good guy. And his wife is about to give birth to something, to, to, a, to a child. But listen, this is no ordinary child, okay? Now, parents, as a parent, we all think that our kid is the most amazing kid, right? We all think our kid is awesome, okay? And we're all like, yes, my kid's great. But listen, but let's be real honest. In the eyes of the world, everyone else is like, oh, it's just cool. You have a kid. And I know this because when people often show me pictures of their kid, I'm like, yeah, cool. Anyone, anyone like, okay, anyone, any parents, y'all kind of just like, you've seen enough of your best friend's kid on Facebook and you just kind of finally flip through it, okay? But this is different, this is different. Like, this kid is not just going to be another great engineer or a great politician or a great basketball player 
or a great baseball player or a great musician. Like this child, this kid, is going to be the one that is going to save the earth, to save the world, to save you and save me. This is no average baby. The angel reminds Joseph and reminds us of this by quoting from Isaiah 7.14, okay, when he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, when Joseph is hearing the angel tell him these things, when Joseph's hearing the angel telling, tell him these things, he is a good Jewish man, okay? So he is not caught off guard by the promise. He is not caught off guard by what Jesus, what, what God had already said back in Genesis. And so when he's telling him these things, I just wonder how excited Joseph must have been at this news. That this is the one. Like you're going to play an integral part of the story. Like you're going to play an integral part of the story. John 1, 14 says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the Son of Man from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, what's going on here? This, John is using a throwback to Genesis 1, right? So if we read Genesis 1, it says the word, uh, it says um, that God created the earth, right? Well, in John 1, what does he say? Before the beginning, the word was with God and the word was. What? God. So John is throwing us back to Genesis 1 here, and he's saying Jesus is the promise. Jesus is the promise. Jesus is the seed of the woman that you've seen throughout Scripture. You've seen this war between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman throughout the Bible, throughout history, and Jesus is the one. But I love that he says here that he's going to dwell among us. The idea literally means that Jesus is pitching a tent, okay? He's pitching a tent. Now, how many of you have ever went camping and you've slept in a tent? How many of you would be like, you know, I would really love this to be my permanent residence? Okay, I figured somebody, I figured y'all would be like that. Y'all look like tent people, okay? You look like tenters, okay? Hey, the fact is, is, is that awesome, that probably sounds pretty cool, even just a, a little bit, but really, that's terrible. That's terrible, to sleep in a tent. So John is literally saying here, in some ways that, if we want to modernize it, that God is renting a temporary residence. That Jesus is coming in a temporary residence to dwell among us. He's, um, Eugene Peterson kind of says that he moved into the neighborhood, Think about this. This is Jesus coming down from heaven to move into our neighborhood. You want to talk about dwelling among us and God being with us? Like, let me don't get ahead of myself. Let's go to Luke 2. So remember, in our minds, as we read Luke 2, we're thinking Jesus is the promised one. He's told Joseph We've seen a throwback to Genesis 1, so, so John is connecting dots for us, but Luke's going to tell us something really cool. So I want to talk about the shepherds here, and I want to talk about um, who the promise is for, okay? In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Now, 
Let's just stop there just a little bit. Good news, okay, is euangelion, okay? Euangelion, which means it's gospel, okay? What did we just call the first gospel presentation? Proto what? Euangelion. Yeah, I know that's a weird, yeah, uh, it's a weird word. I can't spell. Don't ask me, okay? I can't spell it. I can't spell it. It's E-U-G-E-L-I-O-N. Is that right? Okay. Do you think you're better than me? <laughs> you think you're better than me because you can spell? <laughs> I can't spell. How does it spell it? Spell it for us. Look at that. Y'all give it up for your youth pastor. What a guy. Not only, not, only, not only does he know theology, he knows basic dictionary words, okay? I love him. Hey, so, but remember, good news is euangelion, and we just said that the first one is the proto-euangelion, so there's another connection there, isn't it? There's another connection. There's another connection that, hey, Jesus is the good news. That's the good news, And what does this good news bring us? Great joy that will be for all the people. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior. Wow. Wow. So the good news, the euangelion, brings great joy. Why? Because this great news, this great joy is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. These shepherds have heard this story from the time they were in VBS in kids' church. They've heard this story from the time they were this high. They've heard the story of the Messiah. They've heard the story of Adam and Eve, and they've heard the story of sin. They've heard the story of God redeeming his people out of Egypt. They've heard the story of someone greater than even Moses is going to come. Greater than Abraham is going to come. Greater than all of their, all the, uh, the, the church fathers, I mean, all of their, their forefathers, they've heard all these things that someone greater is coming and that this one will be the Messiah. And guess what? He's here. He's here. Christ the Lord is here. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a, the, with the angel a multitude of, of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. What an incredible story. What an incredible story. Now, we hear this story every Christmas, and we probably just kind of pass it off. Um, I know I did for many years, just kind of been like, oh, cool, some shepherds. But I think if you dig deep into what shepherds are, Okay, and you dig deep into who they are, you realize just how awesome it is that they came to the shepherds. Okay? Shepherds are very average dudes. Okay? They're very average dudes. Um, and they, 
were not looked upon with a lot of favor in the world, okay? They were not looked uh, with favor in the world. And if they just ran into the village and told everybody, hey, we saw an angel, they'd be like, well, you're, you're on drugs. You're an idiot. So, so the angel gives them these signs and says that, hey, in the city of David, remember Bethlehem. Remember, you heard the story. Remember, this is the, the son of David. You've heard the story. Remember, this is the Savior, the Messiah. You've heard the story. Go tell that message. You see, shepherds were, were most likely drunks and untrustworthy people, okay? Shepherds were not even allowed to testify in court because they were that untrustworthy, okay? So I'll give you an example of, 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 of that from my life, okay? Now I'm not a shepherd. I don't have sheep. But we are, in, in our history, the Evans family have been house painters for years, okay? House painters, uh, I can trace it back to my great-great-grandfather at least and probably further back than that. And when my dad, who's a pastor, would tell people, yeah, I'm a pastor of a church down here, they would go, and I quote, wow, I've never seen a pastor that wasn't, I mean a painter that wasn't drunk. I've never seen that. So I relate to the shepherds here a little bit. Like I relate. I relate to like, man, I need the, the good news, because we're just average guys. And I think it's insane to me, it's insane to me that the first deliverance of the Proto-Angelion, the first deliverance of the good news, is not to kings, it's not to Democrats, it's not to these politicians, it's not even to the church, but it's to drunk shepherds. And that, the, and that they are going to hear, hey, God's with you. God's with you. The Messiah is here with you. No one else seems to like you. But the first message of the, of the incarnation is to you. And, and, I, and I, just think, I just think that this is a further picture of that God's not an abandoner. This is a further picture that God's not an abandoner. Because it would be, it would further the message if you went to the, the, the castle and told the king. It would further the message if he went there. But he went where? The average. He went the average route. He took the lowest of the low and gave them the good news. This just further proves to me that God is willing to be with us even in our mess. And he's willing to be with the lowest of the low. Because listen, none of us deserve this. None of us deserve the presence of God. What we deserve is death and destruction. None of us deserve it. So what is the promise? Here's the promise. It's not that Jesus is just a baby. It's not that Jesus is just this extraordinary communicator. It's not that Jesus is this awesome miracle worker. What we find out is that Jesus is God himself. 
that Jesus is God himself. So what's the promise then? That God himself is the one that has come to fix our problems. That God himself laid down all of the praises that was heaped upon him. That God himself emptied himself of his glory. He emptied himself. Hebrews says that he lowered himself lower than the angels for a time. That God left the throne room where where we were just singing like Imagine millions upon millions of souls singing to him, worshiping him, praising his name, calling him blessed, calling him our savior, loving him. He lowered himself to be what? To lie in a manger, to be rejected by those that are supposed to love him. Why? For you, for me. He did this so that he could come and die. So how was God going to crush the head of the serpent? He sacrificed himself. He laid himself down on the cross and sacrificed himself so that he crushes the head of the serpent. And he, listen, he absorbs the wrath. He absorbs it. He takes it on himself. He exchanges with us. Think about this. This is what Jesus did. And this is my favorite example of of, of, of how this looks. Let's say, for instance, that you have a jacket, okay? You have this jacket, and this jacket um, is disgusting. It's been drugged through the mud. It has holes in it. It stinks, and this is the only jacket that you can have. It's the only jacket that you can have, and as a matter of fact, you earned it. You earned this jacket. This is your pay for, a, for cutting someone's yard. They gave you this jacket, and you wear this jacket, and, and you're a little ashamed of it. You're ashamed of this jacket that you have on. And then Jesus comes, and he has on the jacket you've always wanted. It's clean. It smells nice. It can never, it can never be stained. It's ripstop material, so it's not going to get holes in it, and it's beautiful. And he sees you with your jacket. And he says, I'll, I'll trade you. Let's trade. I'll take your, your disgusting jacket, and I'll give you mine. See, your jacket that you wear is your sin, and you wear it on your body. And when Jesus comes and he dwells among us, he lives the life that we're supposed to live, and he dies the death that we should have died. And in that, he exchanges with us his righteousness and gives us and takes on our sin. And he did that for you. And the promise is, is that, that he is God and that God himself has come to do that, to make the swap, to take on the wrath of the Father so that you wouldn't have to. So he crushes the head of the serpent and lives among us, lowers himself, not to be a, not to be a military leader or a king, 
but to be a poor man that died. And when our faith is placed in that, when our faith is placed in that, we are part of this great story. So we talked about last night this idea of God giving us good gifts. And we said that even in Genesis 1, we see God giving us the fruits of the field. He gives us all these Uh, all this wonderful place to be. He even gave the man the woman. But ultimately, the best gift, the greatest gift, was himself. Was himself. That God came and gave himself for you. That even while you were sinners, his life so that we can live that though we were sinners he died that though we hated you you loved us though we were enemies with you you are our friend and you by sending yourself by ultimately coming in the flesh thank you thank you for that God thank you for the reminder that you've been with us from the beginning and that when we sin We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, to come back to you. God, I just pray for all these students in here. God, I pray that those of us that know you, that we appreciate this more. And those that maybe don't, that we're still searching, God, that you use your spirit to draw them to yourself. We love you. Say this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys stand.